All right, so we're recording this special intro before the episode uh, because, full disclosure, uh, the episode that you're about to hear uh, was recorded, which is episode 42, was recorded back to back with episode 41 because as you're listening to this, I'm on vacation. So we, uh, since we had already seen Shazam, we decided to record our detailed Shazam analysis uh, a week early. But then the day after we recorded both episodes, the Joker trailer hit, and we just couldn't not talk about it. So we're recording this special intro here so we can talk about this Joker trailer, which kind of blew me away. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, this thing was everything that I was hoping it would be, and some things I didn't even think I wanted it to be. Um, it, You know, in, in a lot of ways, it's... Not at all the same thing, but like Avengers Endgame, that trailer I thought was like a perfect trailer for what it needed to be. And this thing is a perfect trailer. It gives you an idea of what this movie is uh, going to be, the tone, the feel and everything. But at the same time, it doesn't give you too much. Like, Mm -hmm. I have a feeling like there's still a lot to this movie that we haven't seen yet. And... um, yeah, man, I'm I'm really excited for this, and and for you, Mister DC doesn't make movies for me anymore. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just curious to see what your take is on this because this is clearly not Aquaman, clearly not Shazam. Uh, this is a very different animal altogether. I'm all over this, man. This was this was a phenomenal trailer. Um, to your point, it didn't give much away. Um, and it just got me hell of excited. There's just a lot to chew on. Um, my brain works. It, it just is actually being put to work as I'm trying to figure out what, what the heck is going on on this screen. This is like everything I wanted in a movie that I didn't really know I wanted in a movie. Um, and, um, it, it certainly feels like it's made it's being made for a completely different fan for a different audience and that is intriguing to me um because it just just in the short trailer that we got it this cannot at all be connected to anything that we've seen thus far um so i'm 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 glad that we got a taste of it It's, it's it's exciting um it's right around the corner and um, I'm really excited to see what uh, Joaquin Phoenix brings to the role and sort of how uh, Warner Brothers slash DC is uh, shaping this. I don't want to say universe. I just say this story. Right. That's what that's what it feels like. Yeah. I mean, so just everything from the music, like the use of the music and the feel like it's. In some ways, it's it's very much what you would think it would be, you know, setting it up as sort of like, a you know, there's that line where it's like, I thought my life was a tragedy, but it turns out it's a comedy or something like that. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's a paraphrase, mm-hmm. which is a great line and probably very much uh, a theme in this movie. It, it looks I see a lot of people talking about how, oh, it looks dark. And, you know, I thought they said they didn't want to do dark anymore after Snyder and everything and. This thing it does not at all. This is not. I'm gonna coin a phrase here that I'm not even gonna like. I, I hate the fact that I'm about to say this, but this is not Zack Snyder dark. 
you know, mm-hmm. in the sense of like, I didn't watch this trailer and go like, wow, that thing was dark. It's it's quirky and it's there's something off about it, very much like the character, but it doesn't seem dark. I mean, yeah, it's not bright and colorful like Aquaman or Shazam, but it it's not doom and gloom either. You know, this is not like, you know, gods walking the earth and brooding darkness and misery. It's it's a this is like an art house or it looks like anyway, an art house film uh, that just happens to be made by a, a major studio and based on a character from like the world of comic books. Yeah, the and you know what? Excuse me if if what I'm about to say may have been said in a previous episode Um, Because I almost feel like I have said this, but this is like falling down for 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 a comic book movie that 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 was the vibe I was getting. And um, and that that just blows me away. Like, I'm cool with that, by the way. Yeah, man, that that just feels good to me. (laughs) And and to your point about um, I know that's so dark, Um, but to your point about darkness, like. No, no, I don't think this is this is dark per se. Uh, the the timing or in terms of like the era in which they're they're staging this film, it feels right because you get to play in a gritty. I don't like seeing these words because they've become so cliche. But like if you're from New York and you remember anything about Times Square back in the city the back yep. in the 80s like that's what this invokes to me like there's a grime there's a filth to it and um it's really cool to see a character like the joker um not even the joker just joker um live and breathe in that environment and come up in that environment cuz it just it it feels just gangsterish and you know yeah. odd man out a, a you know a guy who's just trying to keep himself level-headed and f- has maybe like the worst day of his life and flips out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean and we've seen, you know, again there have been many takes on the origin of the Joker, so it's like whatever. You could take your creative liberties with it cuz you know, there's really no canon <laughs> when it comes to yeah, this type of stuff. Right. But the fact is um yeah, I mean that gritty nature and and you know, the fact that it's yeah, I mean, I hope this thing goes completely off the wall, like in the third. I'm sure there's a third act to this, you know, that we haven't really seen much of. Um, and, uh, that you know, that's what I'm really excited to see. But, man, uh, you know, this is the type of movie where, I, you know, I would normally say, like, if this was set, say, in like the... I mean, granted, it's Gotham City, so it is in the Batman universe. But if this was like a part of a Batman film or the precursor to a Batman film. I, you know, I would sit here and say, I don't really know that I want to know the origin of the Joker. But if you're going to do this as like a standalone thing and make it its own thing, like I'm okay with that because I don't really want to. So what I guess what I'm saying is like, if this Joker wound up becoming the Joker in the Batman franchise, I would probably have a problem with it. Because I don't mm. want to know the motivations, and I don't want to. F- and we kind of talked about this um, when we were talking about in our non-spoiler Shazam review episode, talking about how like, 
or maybe we were just talking about it off the air. I don't even know if it made it to the episode, but you and I had a discussion about how, like, I'm really tired of having villains where I have to know their motivations and I, I, you want me to feel sorry for them. Like, Mm -hmm. I just wish people would just be bad again. Like, give me a bad guy that's just bad. Like, I don't need to feel bad for him. I don't need to know that his daddy smacked him around or that, you know, somebody didn't make him feel wanted or whatever the case may be, or he's jealous or this, that, or the other thing. Like, just maybe give me somebody who's just bad. Mm -hmm. So I don't really want to know the motivations of the Joker in the context of, like, the Batman universe. But if this is going to just be its own thing, like, for the sake of this one movie, like, yeah, I think it's a fascinating journey. Mm-hmm. Like you said, to see like how this guy, you know, a bad day maybe turns him into this, you know, master criminal. And, and that's pretty cool. So, yeah, I'm, and, and I'm a, you know, Joaquin Phoenix fan. So I, when they first told me, oh, Joaquin Phoenix is going to be the Joker, I was like, great, sign me up. But now I'm really excited for this. And, and now seeing this trailer, I'm even more excited and hoping that we never see this character in a Batman movie. Like, yeah. I don't want to see this joker ever in a batman film if we're gonna get this deep and find out this much about the character yeah so so with that said do you think just just speculating and spitballing do you think the character dies at the end oh i have no idea i mean that would be pretty cool yeah just Um, to put a just to cap it off and say hey that's it it would be cool it would be very like art house um but who knows? Yeah. I, you know, I mean, I have no idea. I don't, I, like I said, we don't have any idea what that third act is going to be in this. Falls off a bridge. Yeah. I mean, who knows what, what the end game is for this? Um, it would be, it would be a, a heck of a move to, to, if it's going to be that standalone. Um, I, I guess it depends. Uh, you know, I just hope that I would rather that, to be honest with you, than an ending that teases of like his eventual. Like that, oh, he's going to be part of like the Batman universe, right? Right. Um, and and so, what do you think about the makeup? I mean, you don't see much of it. I mean, you do see that, you know, you see glimpses of it, and you see like that that we saw parts of that already previously. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if this is going to be if that's the end result. Like, it, does that thing progress over time in the movie? Right. Um, I think it's fine. I mean, it seems like for what they're going for, it makes sense. Yeah. As opposed to, because they're not doing the whole like, oh, you know, you know, he falls into the vat of chemicals and Batman and all that stuff. So if you're not going to do that, then, you know, I think it makes complete sense to go the direction that they're going right. uh, with it. But who knows what we, you know, what it winds up being. Ultimately. Yeah. So, yeah, I have no problem with it. I think the makeup fits so far anyway based on this trailer what we've seen yeah i i dig it i like yeah. the like cranberry-ish shade and the difference in the in the makeup yeah i think that's cool and we've already established i mean with heath ledger's joker that we don't need a joker you know that's bleached you know white from falling in a vat of right, chemicals right. i mean, I mean it, it could be effective. yeah so i think that's doesn't have to be a thing anymore um Right. So yeah, I I'm fine with it. It it's it's fitting and it's kind of creepy. It's creepier actually to me. It, yeah, it's a very John Wayne Gacy. Yeah, yes it is. Like 100%. Yeah, it's uh, very I, I off. Sh- yeah. Very <laughs> funny, so, off. Yeah. So my wife has a thing about clowns. Like she's 
really scared of clowns. Uh-huh. And um, that opening scene where he's just out on the street corner with his sign. <laughs> I showed it to her just before we, we got on and she's like, oh, no, oh, no, turn this off. <laughs> awesome. And, and then we get through it and she's like, yeah, babe, that's all you. Like <laughs> you're going. I, that looks yeah. so. She's like that. Looks beyond creepy. I'm. 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 I can't unsee that now. <laughs> nice. Like, yeah. Well. Yeah. It's good. Great that you traumatized your there wife. You go. But, but yeah. that's. I think that says something though. Yeah, exactly. You know that speaks volumes as to what they're going for, and I think how successful they will be creatively anyway at accomplishing this. Because in theory, like the that's what the Joker should be, right? Like, he's not supposed to be, um, like, oh, look at the clown, you know, like this is a, this is, and especially this version, it seems like this is somebody who's looking to creep people out. Yeah. Uh, and it should look off and disturbing and whatnot. So, cause you know, to get to that point that he gets to assuming, uh, you know, to where he just loses it. Yeah. I mean, you, you wouldn't want it to be a pleasant thing. Now, the Joker should be should not be disarming uh, no. when you see him. So yeah, so that's really cool. So that that's uh, I'm pretty excited for this, and I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what the general audience response is for this because this clearly does not look like a general audience film, mm, right? Nope. Like it, like I said, I mean, it is very much looks like an art house film that you would almost discover kind of on your own one day. But because it's a comic book character and it's the Joker who's iconic and it's DC, like obviously people are going to be well aware of this thing. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how people respond to it. And mm-hmm. do people get it? Like you and I get it clearly. And I'm sure a lot of people right. get it. People who like, you know, from our circles who knew that this was the direction that they were going will get it. But like, is the general audience going to get it? Like, are people going to go to this thing and be really confused? <laughs> And not just because, like, Batman's not in it. I mean, we talked about that already. Like, you know, it's the whole, like, can you do a Venom movie without Spider-Man? Well, you're doing a Joker movie without Batman. Uh, Mm -hmm. But are people going to be confused as to, like, what this thing is? Like, are they going to be confused because they're going to be waiting for, like, a third act that's, like, a big, like, this guy becomes good and saves the world type of thing? Or, or, like, is it going to be confusing to them? Because it, it just seems like this is not at all what we have now become used to in comic book movies. I mean, this this looks so different from anything mm-hmm. that we've seen that's ever been tied to a comic book character or franchise before. I mean, you know, even the Nolan Batman films, I mean, yeah, that version of the Joker was as iconic and was grounded and was different, but this looks like a completely different animal even from that. I mean, this is... Yeah, it's going kind of like um, like the kind of films that were made of graphic novels that you didn't know were graphic novels, you know, like the history of violence. Sure. Yep. Or, um, road to perdition, which is not, yeah. Road to perdition. Dark like that. necessarily. V V for vendetta. Although that kind of skewed a little fantastical, but, but not really, but you know, um, running scared, which is a totally underrated movie. I would, would totally recommend people go see that with Paul Walker. Um, running scared. Check it out. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but none of those movies though were based on properties that 
were as were, prominent as well, right? Were based on anything iconic. Like those were just graphic novels that people who knew the genre right. were familiar with, but like they weren't based on like the Joker's the Joker. I mean, especially yeah. now in the post like Ledger Joker world, like the Joker has once again become like an iconic figure, and uh, people are aware of it. <laughs> so. This is different. It does feel like that. You're right. It does feel very much like those types of movies. But at the same time, it's an iconic character. So that's why I say, like, it will draw in an audience. I think that, you know, will be, you know, there will be some, you know, mainstream general audience interest in this because it's the Joker. (coughs) Excuse me. And that's why I'm fascinated to see whether this thing confuses a lot of people. And it'll be very, very interesting to see what the general response is to this film, mm-hmm. you know, versus the critical response. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, I I don't know. I mean, I based on this trailer, even as excited as I am, I just think like, oh, and I applaud them for doing this. Don't get me wrong. I'm This is the type of stuff they should be doing. <laughs> um you know, make these types of movies based on these types of characters. That's fantastic. Um, But it should be interesting to see how they... And hopefully, let's hope that it's a huge success, whatever that means, whatever huge success is for this film. I don't know what the budget was or what their expectations are, but whatever relative success is for this movie, let's hope it achieves that. Mm -hmm. Because I, I would hate to see like a solo type of thing happen where like the movie doesn't do well and then they just give up on a whole concept because they missed the point. Right. You know, like I, you know, there was nothing wrong with those star Wars stories. Rogue one is great. And those movies should have continued on. It's just, they, they didn't do one that, that worked and didn't mean the whole concept was bad. They just picked the wrong thing maybe. So hopefully this thing does well because I'd hate to see that. And DC and Warner Brothers feel like they're in that period right now where they could still overreact because mm-hmm. they're so mm-hmm. sensitive right now to everything, uh, considering how far they've shifted. So, yeah, I hope that this thing does well enough to where they can continue to have confidence in this direction and keep making these types of movies, um, you know, these character pieces that are true to the characters. And... Uh, but yeah, I mean, so this was exciting, and Aaron's back on board. Aaron, well, I was always on board for for Joker. Yeah, so Aaron uh, is now going to be excited for a DC film. Yeah, and he's going to go see it. I am, and I mean that hasn't my my lack of excitement hasn't stopped me from seeing short sure. films. <laughs> but uh, no, this one I'm totally on board for, and uh, very very excited uh, to check it out for sure. So hopefully we'll start to see more. I don't want to see too much more. Yeah, I kind of want them to leave it. Yeah, just kind of give me stuff like this, maybe. Maybe, you know, I guess you're going to have to have a couple other trailers I hear, but just keep them like this. Like, maybe give me, you know, a different angle, but, but kind of keep it sort of vague. And I don't want to know too much about this. Was there anything, anything that stuck with you or anything that you didn't like about the trailer? Not really. Uh, I mean, I, I'd probably have to watch it again now, like looking at the overanalyze it. But I mean, just that initial gut reaction was um, no, not really. Um, yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I. I, uh, I. I just like I said, I thought it was a perfect trailer for for what it needs to be, and mm-hmm. I love the poster and everything. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
I, I just think they're they're heading in the right direction with this. So the the font kind of reminded me of the Justice League font <laughs> when I was watching it pop up on the screen. But uh, huh. yeah, I didn't but, really. But that was the last thing it, on my it's mind. So, so not it. But uh, like the what is it? Are you ready? Was that it or something uh-huh. like that? Or you can't save the world alone? Yeah. That's so. it. Yeah, I was Justice League was the farthest thing from my mind of watching this trailer. <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, this is. Whew. But yeah, it? came in, came in hot. But, yeah, uh, sure did. Yeah. October, come fast. Yeah, hopefully we'll be able to get tickets to it. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure we will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. So, so uh, yeah, I guess on to your regularly scheduled program. You get yeah. to hear us talk about Shazam. Yeah. So uh, thanks for this little listening to this little intro. For those of you who would like to continue on, episode 42 begins now. And welcome to the Fanboy Garage. I'm Chris Lasanti, joined by my co-host, Aaron Varola. I shoot lightning from my fingertips. What's going on, folks? Um, I'm really looking forward to this episode. This is a good one. Um, not only because we finally get to talk spoilers uh, for Shazam, but because we get to welcome one of our listeners and fellow Avengers, Miss Katie Kilstrap. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the garage. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Yeah. So, um, so two weeks ago, we threw it out uh, that if any of our listeners disagreed with our comments regarding Shazam or initial impressions of Shazam, that they should hit us up uh, and that we'd be more than welcome to have them on the show and sort of share their perspective of the things that they thought worked really well for the movie. Um, hence why Katie's on the show. So apparently Chris and I have been on an island for a couple of months now. And, uh, despite the fact that our island is getting a little bigger, um, we're still on that island. We're still the the minority of of folks that, uh, that are not really jiving with some of the new, uh, DC films. So we thought it'd be good to, to bring someone who could bring us some positivity and and rays of sunlight. Yes. Um, and help and help kind of even even things out a little bit. Especially so, as we can finally start talking about the the actual details of things that we did yeah. like and didn't like. I mean, it's hard to review a movie on a podcast when you can't really talk about it. <laughs> um, just like it's going to be hard as I'm thinking about it now to be talking about a movie in detail after. A couple of weeks. Um, we're usually the movies are usually much fresher in my mind when we go through these types of things. So um, I'm gonna, Aaron, you're gonna have to probably. Gee. We we talked a lot. We've spoken a lot about this movie in detail yeah. off air. So hopefully we can start to bring <laughs> some of those elements, uh, you know, back in now that we get to do it on the air. But yeah, but in fairness, I, I'm sure. Katie, you saw it at the same time we did during the Fandango yep. early release for screenings. 
So um, actually, we'll just turn it right over to you. Tell yeah. us, tell us your spoiler-filled impressions of Shazam. Things you absolutely love. What would you rate the film? And uh, and then we'll take it from there. Okay. So just a little disclaimer: I've never read a comic book. I don't know much about this character in general. So that's like my little warning. It's okay. (laughs) Um, So I really actually thought Shazam was a really an emotional journey. Like I thought that the Billy Batson character was kind of from what I've seen on like justice league unlimited. um, It was kind of similar in a sense, like, and to me, Zachary Levi brought back in like the childhood aspects that Billy Batson was missing because he had to grow up and like look for his mom and stuff. Um, I, I really enjoyed the cast. The cast was great. And the surprise. Oh, well, we're talking spoilers, so I can say it. Yeah, go for um, it. The Shazam family was awesome. Uh, so yeah. Uh, that rating, I would probably, I gave it a, Four point five out of five, so I guess that translates to an A. So, wow, so, yeah, you know it's interesting you bring up Justice League Unlimited because I love Justice League Unlimited, and that version of Shazam was kind of what I was hoping we would get, so or something close to it. Now, for me, my biggest issue with the movie was I felt that there was a complete disconnect between the character that Zachary Levi was playing as Shazam and Billy Batson. Like, I had a hard time accepting the fact that the the boy that I saw in this movie that was Billy Batson, just based on his demeanor and the way he carried himself and his personality, would act the way he acted, the way Zachary Levi was acting. As Shazam. Mm-hmm. Now, I get it. You're, you're a kid, who 15-year-old kid who winds up in the body of an adult, not just an adult, but a, a godlike superhero. So that's going to kind of mess with you a little bit. But I, I felt that there was a complete disconnect. Like I, I almost felt like, and I guess now I could finally talk about this because I couldn't talk about it even though I wanted to the last time. I felt like the way Zachary Levi was acting as Shazam almost would have made more sense if like he had been Freddie Freeman. Because like, mm. I thought their personalities matched up better than Billy Batson's and his. So that was my take on it. And obviously you had a different take on it. So like, what do you think about what I just said? So what you said makes sense kind of in a, in a sense, but also like, uh, I really think the way Zachary Levi portrayed Shazam was that it, it was a kid with his barriers let down. So Billy's character had all these barriers put up because he was protecting himself, but now he has these, superpowers and he can just let go and kind of be himself plus it's the kind of fantastical element i guess is the right word Mm -hmm. so like something cool just really happened and so the the inner child let out basically and Mm. so he's kind of running unburdened in a sense as shazam Mm. so that's good i didn't even think that that makes complete sense actually I, i kind of I kind of get that. Um, I just struggled with um, some of the things that we see Billy do uh, before he becomes Shazam, right? So he stands up for Freddy, 
right? So he has this like heroism in him, right? Like he immediately wants to, as soon as someone talks about like, oh, you don't even have a mommy, like he immediately stands up for Freddie and defends him against those kids, those bullies, right? And we don't really see much of that after uh, he becomes Shazam. Like that just kind of melts away. Like there wasn't, he didn't really have that, like I want to stand up for something bigger. And it doesn't really get there until he's being challenged by Freddy, right? Like it's all about, oh, it's cool. I can do these cool tricks. Um, but, you know, now that he has the strength and power to 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 kind of, you know, course correct or do things. I mean, he does save that girl, but that's only because Freddy tells him to when she's being robbed. And that was a, it's a funny scene. Um, but I just felt like they... There was a lot. There were there were lots of territories that they could have played with in regards to like who Billy was as a person, and translate that into how he now uses the power of Shazam to make those things real. Like, I felt like a lot of what we were getting was more of like an eight year old in a in a you know a man's body, um, versus a fifteen year old who's who has way more emotional depth and and sort of um confusion i'd say you know as a having been a 15 year old um and we didn't see any of that and i know that's kind of being a slightly nitpicky like i wouldn't like a pubescent like (laughs) 15 year old acting like shazam but like that i just you know that was a that was a huge a huge um issue for me uh, as chris mentioned as well i think the other thing too was um i know you talked about the Shazam family. I absolutely hated that. I absolutely hated what? the po- I absolutely <laughs> hated the Power Rangers moment. And then and then I like kicked myself in the face because I said I should have seen that coming a mile away because they were all wearing their respective colors in every scene. Like Billy's always wearing red and the little girl is always wearing purple and this one's always wearing black and that one's always wearing green. It was like a straight up Power Rangers moment. Um, but, uh, okay. Before I I keep on going. Before we, before we talk about the the power Rangers thing for a second, just to, to get back to what you were just saying though, about how you, you feel like he was acting more like an eight year old in an adult's body versus a 15 year old. So while I started this whole thing by talking about how I felt the disconnect was there, uh, to Katie's point earlier though, because now she has me thinking about this. You know, yes, Billy Batson's 15 in this movie, but he is essentially, a, you know, a kid that was abandoned by his mother and has bounced around from foster home to foster home and has never allowed himself to really have friends and family because he's been on this search for his mother. So in a lot of ways, like despite his age, he's being 15, he never really did have a chance, right, to have that that childhood, right? right? So it, I right. guess... Like Katie was saying, I mean, it, it makes sense, though, that now maybe he's letting a lot of that out now, because now so, as this adult, as this superhero, those like she said, the barriers are gone. So now right. maybe that's why. And I don't know. I mean, that could have just been a great theory that that she has. I don't know if this <laughs> is what the creators were going with, but it is possible that that's why there was that immaturity like, in on, you know, coming through uh, in Shazam. So here's the thing. Um, if you – okay, you said something and, and it kind of struck um, 
an idea in my head. So Billy is forever on this quest to find his mom. I mean, that's sort of how we first meet him, right? He He's committing, you know, small crimes and locking up police officers so he can gain access to their, their database, right? Mm-hmm. The moment he becomes Shazam, all of that melts away. He doesn't care anymore about like now I've got now I have the power to kind of actually go and find my mom or run away and it doesn't actually happen. Like, right. Isn't isn't that shouldn't that be a bit more consistent to the character because that's who he was as a kid? I I, I definitely see where you're coming from. Like, that was a big issue. Not really a big issue for me. It was more of a smaller issue. But like I to me, it was more of okay, now I have these powers, and so now I can I can basically go where I want and not have to depend on anyone else so he can take a little more time. That was kind of how I justified it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Let's, um, let's talk about the comedy for a second. So in the theater that we saw this in, uh, and, and I think sometimes this can have a negative effect, on how you view a movie when this happens, but in the because it's happened to me a couple of times in movies, the theater that we were in, there there were people that were laughing literally at everything that happened in this movie, uh, and I think what happened for me was that when people laugh at something that isn't really that funny, it really makes you start to think about, well, that wasn't really that funny. <laughs> Why are these people la- like? It overemphasizes to you sometimes like how that wasn't really that funny. And that was happening a lot in the theater that we were in. So for me, there were a couple of truly funny moments. I actually found that I hate to keep comparing this thing to Aquaman, but it's it's a I guess a natural comparison. I didn't think any of the humor in Aquaman worked at all. But I, I there were moments in this movie where both Aaron and I actually laughed out loud. There were there were some yeah. funny moments in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, I thought that a lot of the jokes just didn't really work that well for me because there was so much of it. So my fear going into this movie because of that second trailer, even though I was excited for this movie, was that it was going to be a little overly jokey, even though I'm a supporter of comedy and superhero movies. Um, and that's what happened for me. And I felt like a lot of the like every every scene had to end in sort of a joke or every, what should have been like an emotional moment was undercut by a joke. Uh-huh. Even the part where the, the thing that I thought was one of the most effective things in the movie, which is the scene where Billy finally finds his mother. Uh, I thought that was really effective. And I thought that there was, there was emotional weight to that. You know, you could argue, and I think Aaron will that there could have been more, but I thought that uh-huh. that scene was effective However, I also thought that that scene was going to be the scene where, okay, he this is where he finally becomes a superhero. Like, this is where the jokes kind of end, and this is where now he's going to take on the responsibility of being a, a true superhero. Yeah, he'll still be a little childlike, but, but that never really happens. And he's still yeah. kind of right back to being, like, the jokey guy. Uh, and that that kind of took away some of the impact to me of, of that scene of him meeting his mother, which I thought was one of the, the true emotional moments in the movie. What what was your take, Kitty, on the the comedy in this movie, and and how did it did it affect the emotion? I'm I'm assuming it didn't, but no, I it didn't really affect the emotional aspects for me because I 
I guess my theater didn't laugh quite as much. And so I thought all the jokes were really well-timed. There were a few that I was like, that's like cringy, but nothing overall that really affected the emotional journey. Like I thought in the third act after he finds his mother, I thought he turned into a more serious hero um, and just kind of got it together because he realized, okay, I truly was like, I, I truly was by myself. And, but now I have these people, his foster siblings, that are supporting him and need his help. And so now he's taking on a little bit more responsibility with that aspect. So, mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, like Chris, I mean, I think the, um, for me, we get that emotional moment and, you know, he's faced with the harsh reality that his mother essentially just left him with police and, like, kind of walked away. And then he, re- you know, he gets the phone call from Freddie and he's like, I gotta go. And we have, like, that epic scene where he jumps off the roof, which I thought was the probably most iconic um, scene in the entire film. And it's a shame that the um, trailer spoiled that. Um, and then he gets there to the carnival or whatever and you think it's going to be like that moment for for the character right like i i now i like all of that emotional burden has been put aside i can now be the hero that they need and i can protect these people and then he they do the power rangers moment like he doesn't really get the arc he needs to like he needs to have their their support you know he's not actually he's not really the hero his arc is kind of stunted because it's fulfilled by the rest of the other people becoming superheroes as well which i thought was a little premature but um go ahead sorry no go ahead Uh, so i thought that that was kind of his more his his final growth moment was realizing okay he's been doing all of this all of this fight trying to find his mom on his own and now he realizes that his greatest strength (laughs) Is in others. Mm. Huh. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think about that. No. Yeah, see, mm. I'm, I wasn't even thinking of that as a theme. I was so busy thinking about the idea of, like, I, I felt like, and maybe this puts a different perspective on it for me now, but, like, for me, I'm like, oh, I felt that while the whole family thing at the end was, was nice... Um, I felt like it was somewhat unearned because I felt like it happened really quick. Like I felt like, you know, he spends most of the movie not wanting to be any part of this. And then all of a sudden, like he meets his mom. That doesn't really go the way he thought. Then like they become the Power Rangers. And now all of a sudden he's like, okay, cool. I'm I'm down with all this now. Like I, I love these people. I felt like it happened really fast, but, but taking it from that perspective, um, yeah, maybe there there was there was some emotional weight to that that I missed because the idea of like he spends his whole life alone not wanting to and all of a sudden he realizes he does actually need people uh and not the people that he thought he needed uh in his life and yeah, so I guess that could lead to you having a very quick change of heart. Um yeah, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Um, so let's, let's pivot and talk a little bit about the villain. So they did a really interesting 
Uh, they took a really interesting approach uh, with the sort of introduction of the villain. Because, uh, in fact, they opened the movie with, with the villain. Um, so, Katie, what did you what did you think of that? Did you think it was a novel approach? Uh, not really. Um, <laughs> I, the villain was, like, my biggest issue with this movie. Because, um, like, I liked that we spent time in the beginning getting to know him and why he had why he's so like trying to find I guess the cave I guess is what it's called I don't know um but then after that well it, he didn't really get developed any more than that and I I thought it was a great misuse of Mark Strong as a character or as an actor um but in the beginning I didn't really think that was novel I I'm, I'm trying to think of a movie I've seen that in before because it's in the back of my head that I've seen that before, but I can't remember the mm. name of the movie. So. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, yeah, it was. I didn't weird, really hate uh, to me. I didn't to, hate to open the open the movie with that. It was a little weird, but I, you know, my issue with the villain was more just like inconsistencies. So, and I don't even know if this is something that anybody else picked up on, but I mentioned it to Aaron after the movie. And one of the issues was the fact that, so in the, well, not the beginning, but when he first gets his powers, you know, and he goes into the boardroom and like Mm -hmm. the seven deadly, he unleashes the, you know, the seven deadly sins and they start eating everybody and whatnot. Like he, they're very much just like acting like his pets, right? He, they're, they're doing whatever he tells them to. Then later on in the movie, it's established that, like, they basically kind of tell you, like, well, they're really controlling him. And, you know, if you get rid of the thing and every time they come out of his body, he becomes weaker as a person. We got to get them out of his body. And we like it. it, So that that was like an inconsistency to me because it was like in the beginning, he was totally controlling these things and they were doing whatever he wanted. But then later on, it's like, oh, but once they're outside of his body. Like he's just a weak human, and then if we actually get rid of the the thing from his eye or whatever, now it's just like, you know, he he basically turns out that he did. They were controlling him in theory, and I thought that was like a big inconsistency from the beginning to the end, uh, in the way that they they were portraying the villain. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you picked up on that, but that was something that kind of bothered me a little bit. I did, but also like it made sense because I thought that they were, it was kind of their way of manipulating him, like making him think that they, he's the one in charge so they can get what they want, which is Shazam's powers. Mm. Okay. Um, no, so, I mean, I think, I think for me, the, the thing <laughs> that uh, kind of bothered me about the seven deadly sins is like in the carnival when they're all chasing the kids, like, there were how I don't even know how many kids there were f- five of them maybe. Uh, he couldn't eat one of those kids. <laughs> wow, that that's what. Okay. Yeah, that's dude. Dark, I was like, well, dude, they ate up dark. all of the people in the boardroom and threw them out of the windows and all that yeah. stuff. These are like murderous things. And then they're like, yeah, that's the kids. We're just gonna. Yeah. Hey, you guys want to play patty cake real quick <laughs> while we like. Come on. Come I well, on. we talked about this afterwards. So this was one of the things that I we kind of disagreed on in the sense of like. I got like 
in theory, they were trying to get Shazam's powers. So, well, not in theory. In reality, they were trying to get Shazam's powers. And they, in theory, they thought that they needed these kids to get him. So, yes, could they have eaten one of them? Sure. And at no point did I ever really believe that any of them were ever in true danger and the stakes were there. Like, so I didn't believe that that was going to happen. But but I do understand why they wouldn't. Like, they go on a murderous tear. You know what I mean? Like people are getting it became like a horror movie where people are getting thrown uh, up against the you know, the obscured glass and all of that stuff and then, you know, they're just like, Oh, I'm just gonna chase you around. They became like the home alone villains, like the wet bandits in <laughs> in at the end of the movie, you know? Um so that kinda that kinda bothered me. The other thing too, uh going back to this the idea of the Is it tried way, way too hard to be big. And as a as a and we talked a little bit about this in our episode uh previously, but like I'm a big fan of big. And big to me is like perfect. Like it's a great movie, it's a great, you know, coming of age story. Uh it's it's a it's it is a comedy, but there is some good drama there and there's some some good tension and things like that that happen throughout the course of the film. Um, and, you know, the characters put in these situations that kind of forces him to kind of like man up, right, and to like kind of grow up fast, um, to which he's like, I have to – I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I want to go back and, and be a kid again. Um and there were just too many like on-the-nose references to Big like that specifically when – he like he steps on the piano and you know they have that moment where they're like oh we're we gonna do a song and then it's like no um whatever his name is doctor whatever his face dr bald guy with glass eye <laughs> goes running across goes running across the piano and like punches him and you know knocks him out of the play. you know what i'm saying like i just i didn't think i i thought it was too heavy-handed now no granted i'm i'm older and i've seen big I'm sure that many of the kids who were in the theater watching the film with us had never seen Big ever. That would also be so. Me. There, right. there it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a non. It's so it's a non-issue. It's an age thing. Um, what else? Well, that's the what thing. I mean, I have... I think that kids are, regardless of my interview, kids are going to love this right movie. Oh, 100 percent. Because it's yes. colorful. Yeah. It's fun. It's cool like it's they're not going to be caught up in a lot of the stuff that like we're sitting here talking about and analyzing it speaks to them yes you know what i mean because like a kid is gonna think well if i had those powers i would do all of that stuff you know it's like i'm gonna go get beer uh i'm gonna you know i'm gonna go do these crazy things and stuff like that and 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 so i think kids you know 100 percent uh kids are gonna react positively sure. to this movie. We're bringing the adult perspective uh, to the point of like, well, if I became a superhero, I wouldn't just stand on steps and shoot lightning to make money and show off. But, you know, I don't even know if 15-year-old me would think that. But, like, you know, 8-year-old me, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'd be thinking about doing. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and so, right, right, 100%. And so I think I think this is the fundamental shift in what's happened with the DC property, right? So we, they went from dark and brooding to like more adultish films 
to this like no we're gonna go family friendly but we're gonna go really family friendly like we're going like pg kid friendly you know what i'm saying except for the and, eating of the heads and stuff which was weird well well i mean yeah i mean it's a little graphic but um but the jokes and the tonality of the film is like the parent can kind of check themselves out while the kid's having a good time and then like periodically like come out of their comatose and go, hey, okay, yeah, but I guess this is a decent film. And then they take their kid back. Um, films like, and I don't mean for this to be a comparison about like Marvel DC, but like if you look at like an Iron Man, Iron Man has both, it speaks both to kids and to adults. And so you're getting, you know, you're getting a little bit of both and, and there's something for everybody. And we've talked about this a lot. Um, but I think that's sort of where, uh, you know, Marvel films win overall because they can, they can tap into a multi-generational, they have, they create multi-generational content and stories that speaks to a wide variety of people and audiences. Whereas I think, um, DC is over indexed from its dark and brooding period to now like this, like popcorn, you know, bubblegum type film. Although having said that. Take a movie like Captain Marvel, okay, where aside from the third act, like if I'm a little kid, I check out of that movie like quick. Um, so I don't even know that, you know, not every Marvel movie is for like do it. Does a little kid like Captain America, the Winter Soldier, as brilliant as that movie is? Probably not. Um, and I'm go sorry. Go ahead. Chris. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say I was 14 when Iron Man came out and I hated that movie and I only recently got an appreciation for it. So, I don't know. You were a teenager. (laughs) You hated everything. (laughs) Not everything. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Yeah. So, I mean, it it is a little tough. I I do think, though, that... So, Katie, you said that you have never read a... You said you never read. Have you never read a Shazam comic, or you've never read like? Comics? I've never read a comic book. Okay, in that's general. what I thought you said. Okay, so let's just focus on Shazam for a second, though. I don't know, Aaron. You're not a Shazam reader either, right? No, and not, neither was I. So I'm not going to no. sit here and pretend like I know the entire history of Shazam. But, um, but the thing is, now, do you think, Katie, that you going into this movie with really no knowledge of the character or maybe any expectations other than what you saw like in Justice League Unlimited you went in there just saying like I just want to see an entertaining movie about a superhero you didn't really have any preconceived notions and you think that that maybe added to your enjoyment the fact that you just kind of were going in there looking for this fun what you assumed was going to be a fun movie yep absolutely so, yeah, because I think that's oh. a part of it, right? I think sometimes we, you know, we've spoken about we've spoken about this a lot on this podcast, this idea that, like, because of Twitter and because of things like this, right, these podcasts and stuff, and, and I've said it over and over again, and I, I have to make sure that I don't become too guilty of this myself, but, like, at the end of the day, these are superhero movies. And, you know, when I was talking about, like, you know, the dark and brooding days of DC and all that stuff and how... 
overthought a lot of that was like these are superhero movies and they should be fun and they really for the most part should be for kids too like i mean mm-hmm. yes the nolan dark knight trilogy is its own thing and it's kind of a special thing that sort of exists and you're not going to get things like that very often it was the the right character the right director the right take all of that kind of came together but these are superheroes these are you know adults are into a lot of this stuff now it's a different time and it's become so mainstream now but like ultimately these are kid properties and we you don't want to take the kids out of the superhero genre completely uh, and I think that it, in some ways that's what was happening with the early DCEU. Um, I yeah. don't know, though, that they're going to completely take the adults out of things now because obviously Aquaman made a ton of money. Shazam will make mm-hmm. money. Uh, but Shazam is a lot closer to like a kid's movie than than even Aquaman yeah. was. Aquaman was a popcorn movie it was really like a summer popcorn movie that happened to come out in december um Mm. but shazam is really a kid's movie in in a lot of ways and um and i don't know i mean at some point there's you know there's going to be a balance but it seems like the balance in this new dc world is going to be movie to movie as opposed to within each individual movie because you know we're getting this joker movie which is not going to be a kid's movie um, right. So yeah, it seems like that's where that balance is now going to come from: individual movies, uh, and individual properties, rather than you know have a well balanced film that maybe appeals to like everybody. Um, yep. I don't know. Yeah, I um, you know it's funny because I I commented today that that um, uh, these two films, Aquaman and and Shazam, feel very similar. Uh, they're lighthearted films. They're, you know, just kind of like, you know, for at least for me, um, there isn't really much meat on the bone, um, and that's fine. You know, they're 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 it. it you know, it's a, again, it's a shift to appeal to a wider range of audiences, which which is fine. But but you know, comedy sort of reigns supreme in these uh in these films um and and actually having watched uh aquaman again you know the comedy is still is still like overt and it's there it's not as in your face as the shazam stuff but it's still it's still pretty much there um so i just you know i forgot where i was going with this but ultimately you know the these um these films are, are very, very similar to one another. And, um, you know, when we hear developments of a flash movie that's coming out and, and all of that, I just, I'm like, so we were, we're going to go for like three of like the funny guys, you know, I, Batman, obviously, I, I mean, I hope knock on wood is not going to be of this ilk. Um, and, and Chris, to your point that this Joker film is, is definitely not any of that. Um, but when we think about this connective universe, which still is very much connected, and we'll talk about that Superman cameo, um, you know, it's it's going to feel like the Three Stooges. Maybe. I, that might be a little hard. It's a little rough. It's probably a little rough. I don't know that we're going to. Because I also don't think that 
Aquaman and Shazam are that similar. Um, jokes aside, that's the one thing they seem to have in common. Um, I, I like I, I just said, like I, I think Shazam is really kind of a kids' movie, uh, like a cartoon sort of come to life, um, almost like one of those like filmation cart. Well, Katie won't know this, but the the stuff that we the stuff that us old folk uh, grew up on. Uh, that type of stuff. It's like a it's like a Super Friends cartoon come to life. Whereas Aquaman, I actually watch Super Friends. There you go. How <laughs> how awesome is some of that stuff? By the way, it's been a while, but yeah, yeah. it was it was very nice. Yeah, but Aquaman, right. Aquaman was just um like for me, Aquaman didn't really have a. It jumped from thing to thing, like it was. It just the tone and everything shifted from see it was just like a, a series of like where we want let's take elements of different types of popcorn movies and just throw them all together. Um, so yeah. I, I don't really know that they're that similar other than the fact that they're clearly much lighter in tone than what we had before. Uh, and and that's what I was referring to. Yeah. Fair point. Yeah. So let's talk so, about. Speaking <laughs> yeah, of what came before, let's talk about this. So, let, well, not just the Superman cameo, but the references. There are a lot of references. So I and people are going to hate that I'm going to make this comparison because they're going to think I'm making it a Marvel DC thing, and I'm not. It's just it's a natural comparison when you think about it in a lot of ways. And it was the first thing that popped into my head. But there, there's a lot of like. There's an element of Spider-Man Homecoming in Shazam where you have the friend who's... You have, like, kind of the meta friend who's very aware of superheroes. Uh, and he's letting you know that constantly. <laughs> he's, you know, he's always wearing a T-shirt. He's always talking about them. And he's he's sort of, like, I guess supposed to be, like, you know, the surrogate for us, right? The people who know um, and that's very, very Spider-Man homecoming. Um, you know, don't get me started on the Ramon song at the end during the end credits. Cause you know, obviously that's very Spider-Man, but, um, I, I felt that while it was more effective in Spider-Man homecoming, there definitely is an element of that. So they want you to know when you're watching this movie, that there is a Superman, that there is a Batman, that there's an Aquaman. Uh, I don't even, do they reference Wonder Woman in the movie? I don't. I mean, Freddie wore a shirt uh, of hers. Yeah, he wore yeah. a t-shirt. Right, there you go. So, yeah, they want you to know that. Um, now, they don't necessarily... I mean, there are... There are things that make you think that they're talking about the Batman, the Superman, the one, the Aquaman that we've we've gotten to know. And then there are moments where you're just like, oh, well, maybe they're just... You know, they're not being very specific. I mean, they're playing with the figures at one point, which are clearly Affleck and Cavill. Um, and you know, you see like the newspaper clippings and stuff from Man of Steel's in there and whatnot. Um, but, uh, but yeah, then you get the Superman cameo at the end where, uh, they show up in the cafeteria and finally, uh, Shazam shows up to prove that he is the friend of Freddy, uh, so that everyone stopped laughing at him. And then he brought a friend and the friend comes out and it's, it's the torso of Superman. You don't see the face. Uh, you see him from the, the neck down, basically. Uh, Aaron hated this. Uh, I 
didn't love it. I thought it was kind of gratuitous and didn't really make a whole lot of sense in, in context. But um, And I don't really know what to do with it because I don't know, you know, other than it's a cute moment, like I don't know what it means for the for any of this. Um, but uh, what did you think about, Katie, the all the references and the and obviously the cameo there at the end i thought all the references were par for the course during the movie the cameo i cringed because i knew it was coming and i was like please be cavill please be cavill please be cavill and it wasn't cavill and then i was like wait we're not even gonna like get a uh, back of the head or something like uh, i cringed yeah, there was probably a more effective way to do that. If you were going to be vague with who this Superman was, there was probably a a more effective way to do it. Like you could have probably said, oh, I brought a friend. And like all of a sudden you just kind of see this thing like flying in and like you just get like the back of him or yeah. or you you see him taking off or something like something more dynamic and a little less corny than like, oh, like this could be my uncle in his Superman costume right now. Like it, it yep. just was like, eh. yeah, the way they handled it was poor. And and when I heard Superman cameo, they, oh, they shot a Superman cameo. In my mind, I guess I had visualized like Superman be flying somewhere. A line? Well, not even a line, but I had like. visualized it as like like he would be flying or something epic. Not like that. Not holding a tray and... Or whatever he was doing. Was like he even lunch, holding a, a tray? tray? Yeah. A like, no, yeah, he was holding yeah. a cafeteria lunch. It's not, tray. and from the neck down, like that wasn't quite what I thought we were going to be getting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I detested the whole thing. <laughs> I, I just, I, I really did. I, I, um, they had, they have Gal Gadot at their disposal. They've got Jason Momoa at their disposal. I just think that it was unnecessary to, um, to even include the Superman thing, given the current state of, you know, Cavill's uh, participation in the in the franchise. Now I understand how important the character is. It's just it was the same, and it was like the same suit, you know, just not on Cavill's body. Yeah. Um. Which was just jarring and, again, just not not necessary. And then you get the end credits, and it's clear that Shazam, again, lives in the same world as the rest of these characters because they do, like, all these little sketches with him, you know, cracking jokes with Aquaman and... Um, you know, hanging out with Wonder Woman and 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 racing against the Flash and all that stuff, or in a car with the Flash or whatever. So yeah, uh, go ahead. Sorry, um, no, <laughs> could have even brought Gal in and just have him say, "Oh yeah, I brought a date." And there you go. Like, yeah, yeah, that would have been right. that would have worked. I sure. think that would have that would have been amazing, but this whole Cavill thing, whatever. Well, it's funny too because if there is a, if this is still a connected universe, and obviously we could debate forever (laughs) on whether or not it still is or isn't or how connected it is anymore, why even bother having the cameo be the one character that's kind of in limbo right now? 
mm-hmm. that you know that we may never you know like it's weird like you know why not use that opportunity for something else and forget the the concept of it where like it wasn't even really earned like it's like we're supposed to believe that all of a sudden like they became friends <laughs> From the time yeah. that that carnival thing ended to that whatever, however t- much time had passed between that and that, you assume it wasn't that much time. And also, this is my issue with all these, like, when it, when you start really getting into these, like, shared universes, and it's why I don't need all of these characters to necessarily exist, like, right next to each other. Like, w- where was Superman? <laughs> If he could just get him to show up to the cafeteria for lunch, like he couldn't get him to help when he needed him, like that's when you start to get into that type of stuff. And we, you know, those issues come up with Marvel has done a decent job of kind of sort of giving you an excuse for why some of these characters weren't always around. But Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I just I'm not a fan of that. Like, I'm not a fan of the fact that, oh, Superman the most powerful superhero in the world, he, he can show up to the cafeteria. You know, it's like, hey, look who I brought with me. But, like, where was he for, like, when the bus was going? You know, like, things like that. For the demons. Yeah, for the demons. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, Yeah. I had a lot of... But, you know, look, they did it. another... Hmm? They did it just to do it. I was going to say, or... Go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead, dude. Yeah. No, I'm saying they did it just to do it. You know, that's what it was. Yep. It was just, it was there because it, they wanted to do it. They didn't really think it through, and they just said, we need to have a Superman cameo at the end of this movie. Mm. Okay. Great. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you, you gotta think about it. So, originally, Cavill was supposed to be the interconnecting tissue, right? Um, yes. Between all the movies. And so, I read that they had a Cavill cameo shot. And so it might have been more than what this was originally. And with all the negotiations back and forth with Cavill and Warner Brothers, maybe they got to the point where it was just like, uh, well, we, we can't really include him, but we can't really do anything else. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember reading, and, and you never know how much of it is true or not, that like Superman was going to be a major inspiration, right? during the mm-hmm. course of the movie for the Shazam character. And that never really becomes a thing. I mean, other than the fact that, like, he exists. And, you know, obviously, Freddy is an admirer of all of these characters. It doesn't seem like Billy Batson really knows who any of these people are. So, yeah, something changed there. But then, again, like, then why keep it in there? I mean, yeah, was it... I guess kids will find it cute. Um, or maybe they won't, since there's no head. <laughs> Uh, it's just awkward. It's an awkward shot, but you know, other than that little like, oh, cool, hey, it's Superman. We think. Um, I'm not sure. Once you can't have it be Cavill, and once the, the cameo has to literally just be reduced to what it was, like, why keep it in there? Um, and and here's the thing, like, so if if it was Cavill, why not just why not just keep it right, like. You could always chalk it up to like, yeah, that's just not going to be Superman anymore at the end. You know what I mean? Like after Shazam had been released and be like, oh, yeah, he wasn't going to get a solo movie anyways, like until 2024. <laughs> so, the, I mean, <coughs> it's moot. Um, I don't know. I just the whole thing was overdone, gratuitous and stupid. Yeah. 
Um, okay, one last topic, and I know this is going to be one that I'm going to get a lot of heat on, but I hate the suit. <laughs> yes. I, the, the the muscle suit that they put on Zachary Levi, and I've said it from the beginning, the moment I saw images of him in the suit, now it's not the fabric of it or the color of it or any of that. It's the muscle suit that sits underneath the spandex is so disproportionate to the rest of his body. His arms looked freaking like the size of my thighs. And if anyone who's met me, I'm a big dude. Like, But his arms were ridiculously large with his shoulders and his biceps and triceps. And then they put no muscles on his legs. So like, Mm -hmm. and he had like, and so here's the thing. And Chris and I talked about this at length. Like, (laughs) so Zachary Levi's shoulders naturally are rounded. Like he's not really a squared, squared off looking dude. Like Henry Cavill has a, has a really like good V taper. Like his shoulders are very broad and his back is very narrow and uh, I mean very is has got that V look. Um, <clears throat> Zachary <laughs> Levi does not have that at all. So when you have him like with a fake broad shoulder muscle suit on and his back doesn't meet where his shoulders should be like he doesn't get that V taper. It just looked really awkward. And so there were a lot of scenes where when he picks up his arm or he's like bless you. Sorry. When he like, <clears throat> when he like picks up his arm, or he's doing something where you can like see the folding in the in the muscle suit, uh, that was incredibly distracting for me. And in fact, when we have the Power Rangers moment, the the character that um, Freddy Freddy turns into is probably the most proportionate looking character um, with the muscle suit and all of that. But the and the um, Hispanic kid, I don't even know what his name was, Pedro, Pablo, Peter, whatever. Um, he he looks like he's meant to fit into that suit, but the Asian dude, because he has a rather long neck, and they try to do the broad shoulder thing with him too, it just looks very awkward. Um, so that was a huge distraction for me throughout the entire film, looking at just the... The again the, the the sort of structure and function of the suit on on Zachary Levi I just didn't think it worked at all. Yeah, I didn't really catch on to that. I uh, and for the record, I would like people to know that we did have this discussion at a bar over Henry Cavill's V taper. That did happen. <laughs> it's a true story. Yeah, we did analyzing the anatomy of these heroes. Um, yeah, it's, it is a little weird. I like, I felt like he was kind of walking around like he, they, like he left the hanger in his shirt cause the arms were weird and the, the suits awkward. It's, it's funny. I, a couple of, um, coworkers of mine who are very, um, they are not part of this world, right? That we exist in. They are not, you know, they're just people who watch movies and whatnot. Um, they commented about that too. They're like, I don't know if I want to go see that movie. That suit looks stupid. That was literally what they said. Um, mm-hmm. And then I immediately thought of Aaron because he's been all over this suit thing since like the first picture came out. And I've been always like, oh, dude, it's just pictures. Just to tr- give it time, see it in action. And it kind of still was weird. So 
we are not alone in that, or you especially are not alone in that, because I, I do know that there are a couple of other people that I spoke to that, like I said, are removed from this, this fanboy world that we exist in, uh, that, that were like, that looks weird. Mm-hmm. And it does. Yeah. It does look weird. Um, Katie, did you like, I mean, I'm assuming you liked Zachary Levi in this role because we had um, a discussion a while back on whether or not this is before the movie. We thought maybe he, was he miscast? And I didn't think he was at the time. And I'm still not 100% positive that he was. Um, I just, I would have preferred a slightly different portrayal. But what were your feelings on Zachary Levi in this role and in his, with his, you know, what do you think his future is um, in this DCEU? I thought he was, well, uh, again, I, not knowing anything, I thought he was a, a perfect casting, really. He brought the childlike aspect to a forefront and, like, really played off being a kid. Uh I think he's going to do great in future movies. I know there talks of him going three movies at least with like Black Adam and whatnot. I think he's going to do great. And I I think he'll bring a more serious aspect in later movies, but but the childhood aspect was needed for this one. This oh, one. I'm glad you just mentioned that, actually, because I, I want to talk about that. So... My hope for this movie was that by the end of the movie, it would be a little bit more serious, which didn't happen. My fear after the movie is that I was like, I don't know that they're ever going to get there because I feel like this is their formula for this character. Do you think down the road that this thing does eventually become a little bit more serious? Or do you think that they just stick, I guess money will talk too, but do they stick to this formula now? And this is just going to be the niche that Shazam is in. It, it's going to be these kind of like how Deadpool was its own thing and stuck to that formula. Do you, you think they're going to stick to the formula on this or do you think they will make him a little bit more serious over time? I think they will make him a little more serious, especially if they do bring the rock in. I think we're going to see more of the, Justice League Unlimited type of Shazam where he's he's more serious but he does have that childhood naivety mm-hmm. to him right. in a sense. So that would yeah. Because that would be my would hope. Be- I, I would hope that that's exactly what they eventually get to. Um, assuming they keep making them. I, I hope Dwayne Johnson stays out of that film. <laughs> <laughs> I I just I don't oh man it's like it's so over indexed and I'm like you, you throw the rock in there and it becomes another like I don't know I don't even know how to compare it I just feel like they would probably play off of each other but in a way that just wouldn't I don't know that I just wouldn't want to see I don't know yeah I don't know I just, that I disagree with that to be honest with you I think that for Black Adam. Yeah, I think they would almost they first of all they both they're going to chew up a lot of scenery. And and I don't know that the dynamic really works for me yeah. because I don't know that I want to see the rock in that capacity. You know what I mean? Like I want to see the rock as the like a hero kind of. Um and yeah, I don't know, man. I I don't 
I don't know. I'm not feeling. I mean, I know it's been like the dream, and it's one of those like dream casting things. And he's talked about it, and he's talked about wanting mm-hmm. to do it. But I don't know that in reality, it's one of those things that I I think is the best idea ever. I mean, mm-hmm. financially, it's going to work, obviously, but creatively, I don't know. I don't know that I'm in love Yo, with the idea. And he executive produced this film. Yes. Yep. Yes, he did. So. There's that. Well, and I think and, a big reason and, for that is because, correct me if I'm wrong, it wasn't his, him talking about wanting to do Black Adam was predated even, even them. Shazam. Yeah, that, so that yeah. kind of was like the inspiration to even get involved in this universe was him wanting to make that, to be play, to play Black Adam uh, predates even wanting to do Shim. So I'm assuming that's how he gets involved in this whole deal. Yeah. yeah, and and the, and then there's that interesting um, situation with Danny Garcia, who is his ex-wife, and manager, who manages Henry Cavill. So wait, they're ex. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um. So there's that weird dynamic. Um. So you know she was playing playing uh, the big the big cards, um, for Henry. And, you know, was using some probably some, you know, hostile negotiation tactics to get him his movies. Um, so I, I'd imagine that The Rock, you know, given given the relationship between Danny Garcia and, and Warner Brothers would likely walk away uh, from stuff like that. But but, you know, that's that's all that's purely speculation. I don't know. So. Um, and then regarding the casting of. I mean, John Cena, I think, would have done a great job. <laughs> go go back to that. What do you think of that, Katie? You think John Cena would have been uh, would have been good as Shazam? I know you like Zachary Levi, but... Uh, I don't think he could have pulled off the, the, the childlike spirit. What? Do you see blockers? <laughs> no. I don't know that I want to see John Cena as Shazam either. I, you just want to see him in the. You know, you just wanted to see a guy who would look right in a suit without yeah. needing a muscle suit. Yeah, you're fixated on Cena the V. Like, the V. What the heck did you call it? The one V taper. The V taper. That's what bro. you're fixated on. This is getting a little weird. Uh, well, anyways, okay. Well, I I don't have any other questions, and I think I think we've probably exhausted. I mean, we just did a full like close to an hour on on Shazam. Um, so yeah, Chris, do you think we should wrap it up? Yeah, we might as well wrap it up. I mean, uh, let's. Uh, Katie, is there anything going on in uh, out there in this world that we uh, we exist in that uh, you just want to kind of shout out or? give mention to no not really okay catch my writing on revenge of the fans.com there you go about it and, right. and how can Shameless they find plug. you how can they find you on your social channels so i'm on twitter and instagram at kgelstrap 13 great okay so uh, of course you can find us uh, on Twitter at the Fanboy Garage, and you can find me on Twitter at Real C Almighty, and you can find me at Starting Sith on Twitter. And please don't forget to follow our Instagram page where we share some 
cool pictures um, and other links to the podcast. So if Instagram is your place of choice from a social media perspective, please be sure to like our photo and tune in. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you guys for listening. Um, and you can also shoot us questions um, at the fanboy um, where we have our uh, merch site buy t-shirts throw pillows all that good stuff and support the show so thanks all right guys have a good one close the door bye